0: Episode 53, Judges Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon, and the priesthood. After Jephthah, there are three minor judges, Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon. In this episode, we're going to cover these three minor, or rather regional, judges, and discuss the priesthood under the high priest Eli, which is occurring at the same time. Here's the account of the first judge for this episode, Judges 12.8. After Jephthah, Ibzan of Bethlehem led Israel. He had thirty sons and thirty daughters. He gave his daughters away in marriage to those outside his clan, and for his sons he brought in thirty young women as wives from outside his clan. Ibzan led Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried in Bethlehem. A few Jewish traditional accounts declare this judge is Boaz from the book of Ruth, but I honestly haven't the slightest clue how this fits into our timeline. It would ha- make him one of the oldest people to ever live after the flood, so I'm not so sure about it. I believe it's easy to try to slide Boaz here because he was a judge in Bethlehem. Also, I don't believe the character of this judge is consistent with the character displayed in the book of Ruth. Jubs Ibzam judges from Bethlehem like a king. He had 30 sons and daughters, obviously from multiple wives. He ran a harem in Bethlehem for himself. And he intermarried his children to other tribes, which was against the law. What I have to point out here is that he ruled like a king, just like Gideon did and his son Abimelech. And this behavior is very unlike any other before them. Moses, Joshua, and Abraham made sure to not live like a worldly king. See, the trend now is catching on and will accelerate of greed and power-hungry rulers who desire to rule and be like all the other kingdoms on the planet. This goes with the general shift away from humility and servant leadership and a push towards self-rule and prideful fleshly behaviors, which will manifest itself completely in the character of foolish King Saul very soon. God was Israel's true king, and they were walking away from him, and they were not loyal, so he was forced to turn his back from them, and with this action his protection, provision, and blessing was disappearing. Greed and the desire for power was stealing away their priorities from worshiping God. It was creating a class structure and a desire to rule. It increased poverty as the rich oppressed others, and mercy was neglected out of greed. Ibzan loved his influence and built his power base at the expense of his countrymen. Ibzan would judge Israel, probably just the region of Judah, holding back the Philistine threat for about seven years, possibly just holding back the Philistines through sheer projection of power, for Ibzan was not recorded to have fought any battles. Here is the account of the next minor judge, or regional judge. Judges 12.11 After him, Elon the Zebulonite led Israel ten years. Then Elon died and was buried in Ajalon in the land of Zebulon. So here's another judge who judged for about ten years. There is no major battle for him, yet his name actually means mighty. He was buried in Ajalon in the country of Zebulon. Note here, this is not the place of Joshua's great battle for the location of Zebulon was southwest of the Sea of Galilee. The last of the minor judges was Abdon. Judges 12.13 After him, Abdon son of Hillel from Parathon led Israel. He had forty sons and thirty grandsons, who rode on seventy donkeys. He led Israel eight years. Then Abdon son of Hillel died and was buried at Parathon, and Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. So check out the last minor judge of Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys. So proud and greedy and obsessed with status and power. I find it quite amazing that his name means servile, like servant. This was his redeemed purpose set aside by God to be a servant of all. Who was the servant of all? Jesus. He gave his life for the world. True Christian leadership, with full knowledge of their royal identity in Jesus Christ, still stoops low to help the homeless and hopeless and serve the needy. Instead, Ibdan walked into the opposite, his unredeemed purpose, where he desired to be served, to be the head over peoples in pride and arrogance and status. Continuing the trend away from godly character, the leaders and peoples are embracing autocratic leadership, styles, and rulers, throwing away their freedoms to power-hungry men. Ibdan would judge Ephraim just north of Judah for eight years, with some of his time most likely overlapping with Ibzan in Judah providing a bulwark against the soon-to-be-destructive forces of the Philistines coming from the Mediterranean plain. So this wraps up our look at the final minor judges of Israel. In the next three episodes, we'll look at the last of the chronological players from Judges, Samson. For the remainder of this episode, we'll cover the priesthood of Israel, and this is why. As we approach the age of the Kingdom of Israel, which truly begins with King Saul, there will be three groups of major players in the account of Israel's history until the Babylonian captivity. The priesthood, the royal line, and the prophets. So let's begin with the priesthood, which is the hereditary priesthood dating back to Aaron, the brother of Moses. Only members of the tribe of Levi could be priests, which minister before the Lord at the tabernacle, and later the temple. The second group will be the royal line of Israel. The royal line was hereditary as well, unless a breaking of the monarchial line occurs. God once said of Israel, they will be a royal priesthood. The royal line will be the kings of Israel who rule Israel. Later the two kingdoms, south and north Israel, will each have a royal line. This will include all of those associated with the kings and the ruling classes, the queens and the princesses and such. It will be amazing to see the line of David flow through time, and the kings of Israel and Judah, for the oldest prophecy still remains, that the seed of Eve will crush Satan underfoot. The third party will be the prophets which are independent preachers of God's word in their own right. For they are what some call an open heaven. They are a direct line to God, issuing forth the wildest of prophecies, proclaiming God's truth over mankind. And if you look at the history of the priest, almost always when the priests fall on their duties, the prophets rise up with conviction and passion to proclaim God's truth. The prophets are not hereditary, like the priest. And it's almost as if God has a blast picking them from the most assorted backgrounds. Alright, so back to the priesthood. When Israel arrives at the Promised Land after the wilderness, Aaron has died at Mount Hor, and his son Eliezer becomes the high priest. And he ministers before the tabernacle. His son Phinehas, who defeats Balak and the false prophet Balaam, becomes the high priest after Eliezer. He is also the one responsible for averting a disaster in a civil war, but he's also present at the time of the sodomy of Benjamin. So this is where the biblical account of the priesthood drops off for a while, until the time of priest Eli in 1 Samuel. Doing some research, it can be determined that the priesthood continues at Shiloh between Phinehas and Eli, with Eli being a descendant of the fourth son of Aaron, with a number of high priests in between. And how the tabernacle and ark, this is the ark of the covenant, survive the time between Judges and all of the invasions is a mystery. Did God make the tabernacle invisible? Or did it frighten Israel's enemies so much that they ignored it? We don't know for sure. But it survived into the kingdom age unscathed, as far as we know. So at the time of Eli being the high priest, there's a general changing of Israel, which we discussed earlier, and we'll cover more as Israel moves towards monarchical government. Currently, Eli is performing the standard Levitical duties at Shiloh. And also, depending on what sources you look at, Eli is considered a judge as well. Most likely he was a regional judge, living in the time of these regional judges we just spoke about. And then Samson, and the one who will eventually replace Eli, Samuel. And not to be forgotten, the Ark of the Covenant was resting in Shiloh, in the most holy place in the tabernacle. And inside the Ark of the Covenant was those three objects, the Ten Commandments, the staff of Aaron that budded, and the manna from the wilderness. To conclude this episode a Message to Kings, it's good to remember that upon the altars of the tabernacle were sacrifices beyond number being made of sheep and goats and rams and other animals to atone for the endless sin of the people of Israel. Thousands of sacrifices were being conducted annually to atone for their sin and to cover them. Just as the law commanded. And looking deeper into Israel, it's almost like you can see the internal strife going on. A good judge rises to help Israel, followed by a terrible one. An enemy nation invades. Israel is rescued again. The priests pray and sacrifice to atone for sin, while believers worship. Yet sin and the human condition of faith and failure pull at each other creating a misdirected mindset of confusion of mankind that only God can correct, which he will. With the faith of a man like Samuel, and the heart of a man like David, while misdirected hope leads to a king like Saul, and sin leads to the death of thousands in war, but there's hope. And as I reflect upon the things to come for Israel, It is a loving God who knows the failures of man and always pulls man back to redemption. And all those failures of history and all those heaps of sacrifices are going to be replaced by one true perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who came as a lamb to fulfill the law. And all those leadership failures will be replaced by the perfect leader, and King, Jesus Christ, who will return as a lion to rule in perfect humility and servanthood, not to be tempted with status and vice and vanity, but to rule in perfect gentleness, power, and love. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as we begin our look at Judge Samson. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or a question, or if you want to chat, email me at, at gmail.com.